Let's pray together, risen hope. Father God, we are desperate to know you. We're desperate to be with you. We're desperate to glorify you with our hearts and our minds, our spirits. And uh, I recognize my own frailty and weakness in standing before your word. And I just ask for your grace and mercy. Help me be able to speak truthfully, keep error from my mouth. And I pray that all of us, myself included, would embrace the glorious realities that are in this text and what it means for us to have food, to do the will of the Father and complete the work that he's given to us. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. It's good to be with you this evening or afternoon-ish. It's darker outside, so I'm going to say evening. <clears throat> um, so today is the, the final day that we find ourselves in this story uh, about the, the encounter between this, this woman of Samaria and Jesus at the well in Sychar. It's a story in John 4 that we've been going through the last few weeks. And this is likely the final installment of uh, the series that we've been in, which we've been calling He Taught Us Love. <clears throat> and we have been exploring the reality of love through the lens of this story, this encounter. And we've been looking at how we as believers are both recipients of God's love and we are conduits, channels, which God love, God's love flows through into this world. And Jesus introduced this reality uh, to the woman at the well um, through this concept <clears throat> he called living water. He refers to it as living water. He offered this Samaritan a drink of living water. He refers to it as the gift of God, which we saw was God himself, the spirit of God given to those who would believe. But in her blindness, she could not see how desperately in need she was of this water. And so Jesus exposes her need for her good and reveals that he knows she had five marriages. He reveals that she know, he knows that uh, she's been living with a man who she's not married to. And when she's cornered in this conversation by her own brokenness and her own sin and her, 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 her life, she steers the issues towards a controversy about worship. We looked at this last uh, weekend. And this, this controversy about worship, about the location of where we worship, was probably trying to scare Jesus off. But praise be to God. Jesus is not so easily scared. He tells her, stop worrying about the location you're worshiping in and fall in love with the one you were created to worship. The Father who you are to worship in spirit and truth. Worship with fervent devotion, zeal, passion, love. And at this point, the woman tells him in verse 25, well, uh, I know the Messiah is coming, the Christ, and when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. In other words, let's wait for the Savior, and he'll sort all of this out. To which Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I'm the Savior that you're talking about. And this moment is where we left off last weekend. This massive revelation that Jesus is the Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please grab them. 
and turn with me to John 4. We're going to start with verse 27. John 4, 27. This is seconds just after Jesus reveals that he is the Christ to this woman. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him, to Jesus. So think about this. The living water that Jesus has offered has just barely touched the tongue of her soul. The Spirit of God has moved upon her and given her sight where previously she was blind. And now she sees the truth. Jesus is the Christ. This man in front of me is the Messiah we have been waiting for. And the truth is so gripping, so real to her that the first thing she wants to do is tell other people about him. Others must know about this man. And so she does. She says, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And she's obviously not just referring to the events in her past life. It's got to be more than that because Jesus gave her that information about her own past, her history, these raw facts. And she turns and says, well, you must be a prophet then. Wasn't convincing to her until the Holy Spirit gripped her heart and she realized this is not just a prophet. There's someone else here. There's a Messiah here in front of me. This man knew me in a way that was only possible if he was the Messiah, if he was divine, if he was the son of God. Can this man be the Christ? And so she invites these people in Sychar, the city of Samaria, to see for themselves. After she goes off and before she returns to Jesus in this story, something strange happens here. Listen to this. It starts with verse 31. Meanwhile, this is Jesus and his disciples are at the well. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And then in verse 39, the Samaritans arrive and, and John continues and says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed of his word because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know, we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. And then that is the last time in the Bible we see this woman of Samaria or her town, Sychar. And that's how this encounter ends. Jesus, after this, will head north to his home in Galilee, his hometown, and that's it. What I want us to consider today as we close sort of our, our, our exploration of this encounter at the well is how it is this event came to a close, how it played out in the end. Notice how this last section is structured. There's a, there's a story of the woman um, going to town and then bringing people to meet Jesus. And then right in the middle of the story, the narrative of her doing that is a kind of sermon by Jesus, a, a small little sermon. Verses 27 and 30 in this chapter, the woman goes back to Sychar to tell people about Jesus. In verses 39 and 42, she's coming back from Sychar with the people to show them Jesus. And right in the middle of it is a lesson. Jesus is teaching his disciples something. He's responding to their concern about him not eating. He says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And then he proceeds to teach them what that means. This is not an accident. The reason the events play out this way is John is highlighting what Jesus is saying here. The story of this woman after her encounter with Jesus brackets a sermon meant to show us what that story means. In him just telling us what it is that he's referring to when he says, I have food to eat that you do not understand. And the reason why those two are so close together then and the story is bracketed around the, the sermon is because there's a connection. The story shows this woman's life, a woman who barely met Jesus just minutes ago and has come to see him as the Messiah. And now her life is completely changed. She will never be the same. And as the text says here, she is a witness for Jesus Christ. Jesus's sermon in the middle of the story is designed to engage what all of that means. What does it mean for this woman to have gone into her town and come back with people to Jesus? What it means is this, or, or, or what we should be asking is, what does it mean for, for this woman? What, is, what it means for Jesus and what it means ultimately for the disciples? And then pulling back, recognizing that we are disciples too, what does it mean for us? And so this is how we're going to engage this text. I want to look at the sermon that Jesus preached and I want to allow it to explain the background of this story that John has arranged around it. And then I want to make three points that I believe Jesus teach, is trying to teach us in this text and in this story that we need to see, not just up here, we need to see it with our hearts and embrace it as part of our lives. So Jesus begins by saying, I, I have food to eat that you do not know about. That's his opening statement in this sermon. I won't preach a sermon like that by just coming up here and telling you that statement. Um, but that's what Jesus does here. And 
Obviously, his disciples are confused. The whole reason they had gone into Sychar was to get food because Jesus was wearied. They were tired. And so they asked, did someone bring him food? Because just like the woman before them, the woman at the well, they don't recognize that when Jesus is talking about food or when he's talking about water, he's not talking about physical realities. He is talking about spiritual realities. They're blind to it. They're on the surface of this conversation. But Jesus, in talking about a spiritual reality, is talking about something far more real, far more profound, far more deep than food that you put into your mouth and it goes away. He's talking about a completely different kind of food. And so he explains, this is my food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And of course, the one who sent Jesus is God the Father. He's using this concept of food for us. Now think about food for you and I. Food is a substance that gives us nourishment. Food is, a, is something that gives us strength. Food is a, a substance that we seek after, we desire with urgency, we take pleasure in, we enjoy. That's what food is to us. Our bodies need food. But Jesus's food is to do the will of his father. Jesus's food is to complete the work that his father has given him. So think about what that means. The source of Jesus's motivation, the, 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 the thing his soul desires and takes pleasure in, the thing that he needs to do more than anything else is the will of his father. He needs, like we as human need food, he needs to do the will of the one who sent him. And he explains what that is, what the will of the one who sent him by using this imagery of sowing and reaping. He tells them, do you not say, in other words, is this not a popular phrase? There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, he says, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So this is the food. This is the will of the Father that they don't know about. They can't see. They're blind to this food. And so he's telling them, look, look, open your eyes, lift up your eyes and look. They had no clue what he meant. And he explains in this world, the way that farmers analyze how they're going to engage their fields is sowing always precedes the harvest. Sowing precedes reaping by about four months. This is a standard agrarian concept for what he's referring to, the kind of uh, things that they're sowing. It's just a simple fact that you sow before you reap. You can't reap until you've sown something. But he says here, that doesn't apply anymore. He says, look, lift up your eyes, perhaps drawing their attention to the Samaritans which are approaching from Sychar. And he says, the harvest is here right now. You don't have to wait four months. And then he continues in verse 36 by saying, already the one who reaps, which is the second thing that we do, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. 
And so Jesus isn't talking about physical food like he wasn't talking about physical water when he was speaking to the woman at the well. He is talking about a spiritual reality. The sowing and reaping of souls for eternal life. He says already the one who reaps is receiving wages and he's gathering fruit for eternal life. That's what this is about. This is about a harvest of souls of people who will inherit eternal life. And this is a remarkable concept for them because it breaks the mold that they have in their minds about the fact that a seed has to lay in the ground for a certain number of days, weeks, months before it shows any kind of growth. And here Jesus says, no, the sowing and reaping go on side by side at the same time time so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. There is a kind of shared joy between those who are sowing the seeds in the kingdom and those who are reaping the fruit of the kingdom that would be impossible if it happened separately. But here he says the saying is true. One sows, another reaps at the same exact time. This actually echoes an Old Testament passage from Amos um, Amos 9 has this statement in it. Listen to this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. This is what Jesus is talking about. A, a day when the Christ, when the Messiah would enter into the world in the last time and he would usher in a, a, a harvest just like Amos is talking about here, the, the plowman's going to overtake the reaper. The treader of grapes will overtake the sower. And this is exactly what is happening in the, the sermon. The sower and the reaper are working side by side in the kingdom. And what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about sowing and reaping is all that has gone on in John 4 so far with the Samaritan woman. The disciples, of course, are ignorant to this. They weren't there. But Jesus, when he was with her, sowed a seed. He offered this woman living water and it changed everything for her. And now she is in the city and she is sowing seeds and she is offering living water. Come and see the man that told me everything I ever do. Could this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? He laid bare my soul. He showed me my thirst and he told me who he was and who I am. He must be the Messiah. She is sowing a seed and now there is a harvest. There is a reaping that is going on, which is why Jesus says in verse 38 to his disciples, I sent you, my disciples, to reap th that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And the others here in the immediate context are Jesus and now the woman who's in Sychar spreading the news about who he is. And no doubt there are other faithful saints in the Old Testament scriptures that sowed seeds, all the prophets, all the authors, all the writers, they sowed seeds into the ground John the Baptist even, who, who's still alive at this time probably, sowed seeds into the ground. But right here in this context, the people who are sowing and reaping are Jesus and this woman. 
who he had this conversation with. She is the soul that Jesus reaped just verses earlier when he offered her eternal life. And now she is the one that is sowing. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, this is what I've sent you to do. This is the work that you must enter into. This is the labor that you have to pursue. And so that, that sermon, that's the sermon basically that Jesus is giving. And around the sermon is the story. And what I want to do is I want to pull back, get a wide lens, uh, wide zoom lens. And I want to pull back and I want to take a look at what this story is saying. In verse 27, when this story first begins, this woman's just tasted the living water. She has just had her eyes opened to the glory of Jesus Christ. And she sees who he is. And then the disciples return. And they're shocked. It says that just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman. This conversation between Jesus and this woman is shocking to them. It doesn't make sense why it's going on. In part, this is because they were in Samaria. It's a strange land. And clearly there is this hostility between these two ethnic groups that we've talked about before. Um, but specifically here, John points out that they marveled that he was talking to a woman. And at that time in history, and in that part of the world, it was considered shameful for a man to talk to a woman he didn't know. It was considered shameful, even more shameful for a rabbi, a Jewish teacher, to talk to a woman that he didn't know, which is exactly what Jesus is doing. John wants us to see the disciples' shock. That's why he records it. They were stunned to silence. He even says, we didn't know what to tell him. We didn't know what to say. We didn't know what to ask him. So why does Jesus do this? Well, it's clear that Jesus is sending a message. And it's clear that John wants us to see that message. This woman was a Samaritan woman with a tragic history. I mean, five marriages, and then just she was with a man who she wasn't married to. And Jesus, out of all the people in Sychar, out of all the people in, in, in Israel, in the broader country of Israel, he chooses her to receive living water. He could have chose anybody. He could have chose anyone to have this experience with him, but he chooses her. And amazingly, she's not just a recipient of living water. She is a conduit flowing with living water in the very town that likely she has experienced more shame and sorrow in than anywhere else. We don't know for a fact, but that's where she's from and we know her history. And yet Jesus chooses her. We're going to come back to why that is at the end. But notice that when she discovers that Jesus is the Messiah, it says in verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into the town. Now, when I get to something like this in a text, I ask myself, why did John put this there? Like, what was the purpose that John thought, let me put this very small detail that has no relevance and never comes back into the story. That's never true about the Bible. There's always relevance to what they're writing. So why put this, this, this line about her leaving the water jar? Well, it could be because she was so excited she forgot to take it. Could be she was so excited that she wanted to have speed when she came back. These things were big. Could be that she maybe wanted to leave it for Jesus to have a drink. 
we don't know the exact reason why. Um, but if I were to guess, this is the reason why. John is painting a picture that this woman, in her elation to having received this living water in the person of Jesus Christ, is painting a picture of the spiritual reality that Jesus mentioned in verse 14. When Jesus told her, whoever drinks of the water that I will offer him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him, Jesus says, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 7:38 goes even further than that. John 7:38 says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water which is exactly what happens here. She becomes a conduit of living water. And it's flowing right into this town, Sychar, where she's from. She's doing what we at Risen Hope know is loving where you live. She's bringing them living water. There's not a greater way that you can love someone than to bring God to them through the gospel. And so just like Jesus, this has become her food now. She drops her water jar. This is reality for her. This is what grips her. This is what drives her in her life to do the will of the Father. Verse 23 of this chapter tells us that God is seeking worshipers. That's his plan. That's his agenda. That's what he desires to do. That's his will. And so she brings these people out to Jesus to see him for themselves and to see that he's the Messiah. This is the one that God sent to save us. And this massive revival breaks out in the town of Sychar. We don't know how many people here, but John tells us many Samaritans from that town believed in him. First, because of the woman's testimony, but then after they see Jesus, after they interact with him and they're there for two days, they say, we have heard for ourselves and we know, we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Okay, so that's the story. The sermon, the story, what are the things that Jesus wants to teach us here? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna drill down on, on at least three of them. I think there's more than that, but I wanted to focus on three of them. The first is this. Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's teaching us that the love of God and the mission of God is for all people. It is for all peoples. There is no one who is too ostracized, too outcast, too broken for this invitation to have living water. It says that the disciples marveled that he was talking to a woman. Now, why did they do that? Well, it's because they were ignorant to the vastness of God's love and God's purpose in the world. And Jesus here is literally uprooting centuries of prejudice, discrimination towards women, of misogynism and just foolishness in their cultures that oppressed women. And he's saying, I want you to know, when I came to Sychar, I chose her. This woman belongs to me. And she belongs to the same task that my father's given me. The mission of God is not just for men. It is not just for the elite. It's not just for one particular people group or ethnicity. It is, in, everyone is invited to this. It is for all people. Anyone who has tasted the living water, 
anyone who's experienced receiving Jesus Christ, when that happens to you, your food becomes the will of the Father. Your food becomes the, dri the driving impulse of your soul is to do the work of the Father, to complete the task that he's given you. And look what happens. She leaves, this is so huge to her that she leaves the water jar. I mean, I, I don't know how many water jars she's had, but these are, I mean, she, she didn't seem like she had a lot going in there. It seemed like this was, she was at a, the, the end of her rope. She leaves her water jar just to tell people about Jesus, leaves her own means for getting physical water from the well to share the news about the Messiah. And she says, I found him. I found the Messiah, I found the Christ, the Savior. And that's the second thing that we need to hear Jesus teaching his disciples in this story. The second thing is, Jesus is showing that our food needs to be the will of the Father. It needs to be the will of the Father. Our, our, what drives us needs to be what drove this woman. God sent Jesus into the world to sow and reap those who would belong to him. True worshipers people who he would make into his own people. And so Jesus tells us, I am sending you, my disciples, I'm sending you to enter into this same work. You are entering to the same labor that you see her doing there as she's coming back with droves of Samaritans. We are called, Risen Hope is called, the church is called to sow and reap in this world, to spread the gospel and, and to bring out of people, engage people at such a degree that they, are, they, they, they recognize that we're not going to let them go until they see Jesus for who he is. Like we are called to sow and reap. And this means everyone who belongs to God must be in this business, must be at this work. This is a, a fundamental reality of the Christian life. This woman is, is a stunning example. I mean, it's amazing. The skepticism at the beginning of this story and then her just commitment at any cost to get people out there to see him is stunning. And this is what it looks like for our food to be the will of the Father. And so the question we need to ask at this point is like, is this risen hope? Is this us individually? Do our families look like this? Does our church look like this? Is spreading the gospel of God's grace likened in our lives to our desire for food? Does it have the same urgency that food does? The same grip on us? Like we miss a meal and, and we know it. We did not, it, we, it did not escape us. Does it nourish us to spread the gospel? Does it strengthen us? That's what Jesus is commanding his disciples. That's what Jesus is commanding every single one who believes and receives the gospel. And this is not, I, I want you to hear this, this is not an extra credit part of the Christian life. This is not the frosting that's on top. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. Which brings us to the third and final thing, and we need to see this, this is, Central, this is the foundation really that everything that we saw in John 4 sits on. Jesus is using this encounter to teach us love because we need to know the source of this love. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The word accomplish here in the Greek is teleo. 
And uh, it means to finish, to bring to completion. Jesus isn't just sowing and reaping here. He's doing that. He does that. His entire ministry is sowing and reaping. But he's doing more than that. He says, I'm going to finish my work. And to do that, Jesus must be lifted up on a cross in order to purchase the very living water that this woman is offering the people of Sychar. And the very living water that we must offer. Listen to the words uh, of Jesus just hours before the cross. This is at the very end of his public ministry in in the book of John. And he says this, listen to his words. The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. That's the cross he's talking about. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Then he says some staggering words as they invade our lives. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. This is the work that he finished. The cross. Where Jesus, like a grain of wheat, fell into the ground and died in order to bear much fruit. He's saying here that his death on the cross is the wellspring, the fountain, the source of the work that is going on in the world when we preach the gospel, when we communicate God's grace. That's where it comes from. It's, it's a fa- it's, in order for us to be able to offer living water, in order for the woman in Sychar to offer living water, what needed to happen was he needed to complete the work that he was given. And that work, in order for it to be completed, needed for him to die the witness or the woman is a witness for Jesus because of Jesus. He's underneath all that she's doing. His death and resurrection is the reason she can do that. It made it possible for her to receive the love and for her to be a conduit of that love for people outside of her, which is why when Jesus was on the cross and he breathed his last breath, He said, it is finished. What I promised in John 4 is complete. I've purchased my bride. I've purchased the living water that will make her alive and that we will use to spread the gospel throughout the world. I've completed the work that my father gave me. This event, the cross, is the seed from which the harvest of every single eternal Every single soul that will receive eternal life comes. This is where it comes from. All of John 4 happens because months or years later, Jesus is going to die on a cross and he invites the woman into this pursuit and you and I have been called into the same work. We are called to sow. We are called to reap. He says right here, whoever loves his life will lose it. And you, you know already the reason why. It will require us to forsake our lives in this world in order for us to accomplish the work that he's given us. 
just like Jesus had to forsake his life into the world in order to, to finish that work. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. This is not an option. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. The servant is always where the master is and the master in this passage is on a cross dying for these people. And he's inviting us to the cross. He's saying, you're gonna need to sacrifice your life, your time, your energy in order to make this happen. Sowing and reaping will not happen without this reality in our lives. We will have to say, my life in this world doesn't matter to me as much as the lives that could be saved through God's instrumentality in me, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, with our friends. And so as we close our time um, today and think about this, this food who beforehand the disciples did not know what this food was, now they know. I wanna ask, is this us? Is the mission of God what grips us? Um, there is nothing more important in the universe than the will of our Father. There's nothing. Nothing we can conceive of that's more important than that. And so as we close our time uh, today and we participate in the Lord's Supper during this next song, I really want us to embrace the words of Jesus. I really want us to, not just, not just to think about them intellectually. There's so many ways we can process and agree with and say amen. And, and, and it just, it doesn't actually like throw roots into the soil of our soul. And after this last week of prayer gathering, I'm very encouraged by the fact that uh, God is real. And when we were gathering for prayer, he was present and accounted for. And I am grateful for that. The people who were there know. Um, I want these, I want the reality of what this is to transform our lives. Like this woman. And so, as we take the elements, as we remember what Christ did on that cross when that grain fell into the ground and became a harvest creating for running centuries reality called the gospel. I want us to embrace that. I want us to feel that reality. I want us to give ourselves to it completely, not just as individuals. I want this to be our food as a church, doing the will of the Father, sowing and reaping the harvest that was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. So let's think about this woman as, as we do that and think about what she did. She didn't have to be told. You know, the next step in your Christian walk is to tell people about Jesus. The living water inside of her could not be contained. And for some of us, we just need to ask, have we ever tasted this water? We need to ask, has this ever actually touched my tongue? Or has, have I tasted it and I just haven't allowed the reality of it to grip my daily schedule and say my schedule is not important. My inconvenience is not important. My food is to do the will of the Father. Um, our work in this life as Christians, our work in this life is very simple. It's not our vocation. It's not what we do at home. It's not recreation. It's not our hobbies. Our work in this life is the will of our Father. Whatever he wants us to do, he has sent us into this world because his son sowed his infinitely worthy life to purchase 
a harvest of souls and you and I are here to help him reap that harvest, to sow and to reap. Everything in our lives is intended by God to serve that one purpose. And so church family, church family joining us online, as you worship here over the next few moments, ask God to help you never neglect the food that we have been given. The food that our Savior had to die in order to give it to us. Let us never neglect that. Let us do the work that we've been called to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is so easy for me to say these things and for um, my friends who are with me to hear these things and for us to, to wake up tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day after that and, and them to have not actually done anything. In fact, right now our flesh is waging war against the, the realities that we see in this text taking root. And I am just pleading with you, Father God, that you would not allow the flesh to win that you would grant us, Father God, each one of us, anyone who can hear my voice, whether here, present, or whether watching tomorrow, grant us the strength and the wisdom and the energy and the boldness and, and the desire to forsake our lives in this world and throw everything we have, every ounce of energy we have, even in this season of a pandemic where we have to think creatively to make this happen, Give us capacities to do that, Father God. Grant our hearts such a zeal, a passion, a desire that there's no question about it. It's not a matter of, of should we do this? It's a matter of how. It's not a matter of when we're gonna do this. It's a matter of who's with me. Father, I pray that this would be the reality for, for, for me personally, especially in this season of isolation from our workplace, all the different channels that, that we used to navigate, Father God, be with us in this season and grant us by the Holy Spirit boldness and the grace that we need in order to do what this woman did 2,000 years ago. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.